Hello and welcome to Willosophy with Will Anderson podcast. Mike here at the top of this week's episode to introduce this week's guest, who is Dave Woodhead. Uh, Dave, if you are unfamiliar, is a comedian and currently the host of The Lunch Shift on Triple J. Dave talks about uh, his experience growing up in Darwin, uh, as well as his journey into comedy and radio and everything in between that he does. And you can find out more about Dave uh, by going to his Instagram, Dave A. Woodhead. If you're a fan of Triple J, we've had several uh, former and current Triple J announcers on the podcast over the years, including Alex Dyson twice, uh, and more recently, Linda Mariano. So if you've been listening to Triple J for a while and want to check out a few more of the alumni, definitely scroll up in your feed and check out some of those other episodes. You can support us by going to patreon.com slash willosophy for as little as a dollar a month. You get the episodes one day early and you also get them ad free. So highly encourage you to support the Patreon there. As well as that, you can find all of our shows at tofop.com, including tofop, fofop and two guys, one cup as well as seeing all of the fantastic artwork and portraits of the guests that our artist James Fosdyke does. Now, without further ado, this is Willosophy with Dave Woodhead. Enjoy. Welcome to Philosophy with Will Anderson. I'm Will Anderson from the title of the podcast. And this is how the show starts. I ask my guest who they are. So, uh, who are you? Man, my name is Dave Woodhead. Um, host of uh, host of Triple J Lunch. Uh, comedian, writer, actor. Um, yeah, pretty much that's it. That's all I got so far. Torres Islander, man. Yeah. That's a lot. You started strong. You don't have to say that's it at the end <laughs> of it. Like, how old are you, Dave Woodhead, just to have that list of things that you already are? Um, look, I'm 23 years old in, in human age, but I don't know, this pandemic and uh, <laughs> growing up in Darwin, man, I feel like fucking 55. <laughs> sometimes i mean when you grow up on the the streets of darwin there is like time doesn't really mean anything in darwin darwin was kind of covid before covid it's always had its own rules 100 percent. like you know what it, it one thing that really reminded me of darwin is um have you seen that i forget what the movie's called but it's like this new movie by m night Shyamalan. oh yeah the it's called yeah. beach or old no it's called yeah. old it's about a beach yeah. that makes you <laughs> old <laughs> Yeah, exactly. And I was like, yo, that's just Middle Beach in Darwin, man. That's what it feels like. <laughs> Without- this age is used so much. Um, I'm very interested in Darwin. So let's let's go back there for a start. Let's do a bit of, you know, mm. Dave Woodhead begins. Let's do some origin story stuff. Tell us about, you know, where you grew up, what your life was like there. Give us a little backstory. So, yeah, I was born, uh, born in Darwin. Um uh, Darwin Public Hospital, uh, private hospital, actually. Sorry, let me just glow up for a second. Um, <laughs> and yeah, uh, um, parents uh, were split up when I f- was five years old. Um, so lived uh, between my mum and dad um, in Darwin. But, you know, I guess one thing that's funny is that 
even when he's because Darwin's so small, it's like the split up means just one's in this suburb and just like five minutes away. Yeah, basically <laughs> like, just means uh, you're getting really... to see a little bit more of Darwin. That's all it is. Yeah, for real, I remember um, when uh, I was probably I was probably six or seven. My dad was in this uh, little apartment building, and my mum was literally up the street. Like you could still you could just walk. So it's like we're split up, but. You know, if you need, if if I don't have any milk, go to mum's house, grab the milk. And <laughs> yeah, essentially, if we were rich people, we'd just be in different cottages on the estate. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, hold on, I think you dropped out there for a sec. Oh, that's all right. Sorry, I think you just. Yeah. The good news is the good news is we're um, recording at separate ends, so at least our yeah. <laughs> vocals will always be recorded. So um, yeah. uh, we happen to be in the same city, but we are using Australian internet, so there is a chance that it will drop off <laughs> at different stages. <laughs> we're not much further away See, from each other than your mum and dad were when they split up in Darwin. We could probably shout yeah. at each other from our rooftops <laughs> and have better reception than the NBN. <laughs> Yeah, we should be recording this on a fucking um, plastic cup uh, phone. Yeah, if you just woken up this morning and there was a tin can with a bit of string on your front doorstep and it was just connected to a bit of string in my neighbourhood, that would probably be better reception. <laughs> so, real, uh, all right, so yes, okay. So you're in Darwin and you, the, your parents are split up, but I, I imagine for Darwin, again, not this is not like, I'm not stereotyping here, but Darwin is one mm. of my favourite places in Australia, but it is like the wild west of Australia. There is a real sense of, it, you know, it really does run by its own rules and its own regulations. And often people find themselves in Darwin when a marriage breaks down or a job goes away or they're on the run from the law. There is, <laughs> so I imagine... You know, having your parents split up and living just like nearby each other isn't that unusual an upbringing. No, no. And you know what the wild thing is, is that that theory on Darwin, which is it's the place to escape. um, That's something I didn't hear until moving out of Darwin. (laughs) Um, So so it was this weird thing of like, but now that like that happened, like coming, you know, coming down south and... You know, living here, uh, I, I think I left Darwin at the end of 2015, so when I when I graduated uh, high school. So now living out of Darwin for six years, uh, two of those years now being in the pandemic, uh, it it really does feel like I like right now in this pandemic, I'm like I want to go home to Darwin. I want to fucking go to a beach. I want to go to the markets. Um, but it yeah, it is such a funny it is such a funny place that it is quite stuck like the last time I went there was a year ago I was only there for a day um to Darwin that is and it just it felt like a time capsule of nothing here has changed except for maybe a new cinema which that's what is huge in Darwin when they build a new cinema (laughs) like like it's uh, the fucking uh, the 70s still. Well, you know what the thing is, though? I must admit that I have been to Darwin many times in my life and almost on every trip I go to the old cinema. So the fact that there's a new one is actually quite exciting <laughs> to me, I've got to say, for my next trip to Darwin. Sometimes I think the thing about Darwin, the cinema being excited also, is that it has regulated temperature, which is something that, mm. you know, Darwin as a place does not have. So for those who don't understand the weather in Darwin, can you talk me through the cycle of the seasons and how it like changes the city yeah we have um see down south uh and really every most places in the world there are seasons like summer and winter uh (laughs) autumn 
fucking you got it all in darwin you have two you have wet <laughs> and you got dry <laughs> that's it's the only seasons and and it's pretty self-explanatory dry it's when it's not raining <laughs> and wet is what it is and but kind of the last little fuck you to that is that the wet season is the hottest because it's so humid and it's disgusting and then but then like so when you get like this monsoon shower or like this thunderstorm it is like it's always like the end of Shawshank Redemption. Everyone <laughs> runs out to their backyard and rips their shirt off. Um, and then dry, like dry, I, I saw, I, I still keep up to date with Darwin through the ABC Darwin page. Yeah. Um, and which is great because it's just ran by people in, in Darwin. Um, and it was like, oh my God, today's morning was freezing. It was the coldest morning we've had in Darwin for 50 years. It was 18 degrees and everyone in the comments are like, holy shit, this is ridiculous. Like getting mad about it. Like, I can't fucking believe this. What is that? Uh, and I mean, and drinking. Like, I mean, because of the heat, not just exclusively because of the heat, but very much because of the heat, the drinking culture in that place is, I mean, if you are visiting Darwin and you go down the street at 10 o'clock in the morning, the pubs are open and there are people drinking and drinking seriously, but also drinking in a way that, well, from my experience at least, you're not getting drunk. But because it's so hot, you're constantly, you're essentially sweating out the alcohol and the beer at the same rate as you can actually consume it. 100%. Yeah, that is, it's quite a, you know, it's quite a, uh, the drinking culture in Darwin is something I've only really started to grasp the fact of how fucking wild it is. I mean, Australia as a whole, I always, I've always said this about Darwin, even when I was there, because I was quite aware of the situation I was in. Not as much as I am now, but I was still like, this. some of this is a bit fucked. Like, I've always thought that Darwin was a real uh, kind of encapsulated what outsiders thought Darwin was, uh, of what Australia was. So, like, what America mm -hmm. thinks Australia is, which is, you know, a one-way, one road with kangaroos hopping around that's kind of what darwin is like the, the the main city is one street um but kind of done up to make it look bigger than it is and the drinking there is this uh yeah like as you said you just walk down the pub and people are drinking not even getting drunk i mean every meal has to have a drink <laughs> you know it's, it's fucking and then you like as friends like you know you don't really do activities outside of no, no one's going to a fucking pub like in Dal uh, in Sydney here. It's like you might go to a bar that is like an arcade themed bar, and you can go and play some video games and have a one or two mimosas. In Darwin, you you're not doing that shit. You're fucking getting on the piss because it's Tuesday night and we're fucking upset, and that's what we're doing. Yeah, or, or it's Wednesday morning, more likely. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> or you drink through. That's that's a you do a twelve hour session. That's a full working day in Darwin. So, what was your youth like in Darwin? Give me a little insight into. So, your parents split up when you're reasonably young. Um, what are you mm. like as a kid? Are you like a you know? Give us a little insight into what your life looks like as a kid. Yeah, so it, it was, um, I guess, really, I, I was always, um, you know, this is going to definitely sound like a classic. I always knew I was going to be a comedian. 
I do, no, but um, <laughs> I remember in year one, one really click, uh, one big thought. My dad was always super funny, and I guess in like you know there was some, and he had the splits uh, with the fam, and then also just separate family drama as well that that was happening. Like my dad was always very much keeping things in high spirit, and it kind of it made me develop this. His sense of humor was always really dry and a bit, uh, like a bit dark, you know. And so I always kind of kept that into school. Like I remember in year one, because um, all the kids wanted to, all the dudes wanted to impress the girls, and um, they, uh, one thing that was impress girls would make them laugh. So what the guys would do to make them laugh is that they would be run really fast and then trip over, and then the girls would laugh because. The, <laughs> And I'm sitting there like a fucking Reddit commenter going, that's not real comedy, you know? What does this say about society? And um, so, and kind of me being mad at kids getting a laugh with that shit, because uh, I also didn't want to fall over because I was very, because I was also very self-aware because I was a fat kid. I, I knew that a fat kid falling is, fu is funnier mm -hmm. than a skinny kid or like a fit kid falling. Uh -huh. Um, but I didn't want to go down to that level. <laughs> you, <laughs> like, like you laugh. knew you had it up your sleeve though. You were like, if exactly. I did this, if I was willing to lower myself to this standard of base comedy, I would nail it. I would still be the funniest. I know that. I choose not to do it. <laughs> Dude, and that's literally been my, uh, I guess, uh, my philosophy my whole career, which is like, um, you know, I know I could go out and just you know lift my shirt and like shake my belly and fucking be you know get like a million dollar deal somewhere because everyone loves a, a, a fat dude but um i've always thought you know if you can kind of if you can wane off that as your first base of level and you uh and you can kind of go dig a little deeper you can find something a bit more um substantial yeah that's my uh zach galifianakis seth rogan all those guys theory mm. you know they they proved they they got in on the you know chubby you know guy market and then they were like let's see if i can still be funny if i'm thin i'm gonna get fit and let's see if people still yeah. think that i'm funny this is the next challenge in my career you, you well you mentioned being a big kid i was a definitely a big kid i'm the same height i am now which is six two and a half basically from sort of age 10 or 11 mm. and I was definitely like not just tall I was like a big kid I never grew again but you are like a big dude how tall are you I'm um I'm six foot six so mm. like nearly 200 centimeters but I also didn't realize how tall you were like when I first met you um I believe like I think the first time we officially met was the comedy store when yeah. you um, Back, you like, did support for me at the comedy store yeah and i couldn't believe how tall you were like it kind of i was like that shit's wild um but... <laughs> well that's great respect I... coming from such a tall man <laughs> you know what you know what dave woodhead was pretty impressed by how tall i was guys so <laughs> don't you think that i'm not still in touch with the kids for the next generation <laughs> like i mean that's what every like um uh, that was um that was like when I showed my picture, uh, picture that we took together to my friends and family. Uh, and I was like, look, at guys, I opened for Will Anderson, uh, uh, you know, a, a freaking hero of mine at the comedy store. And they were just like, wow, Will's tall. And I'm like, <laughs> yeah, he is. <laughs> Oh man, I love 
it. So how big were you as a kid? Like, when did you get Man. super tall? Were you always, like, a big dude? Always fucking, always uh, towered over everyone. Um, and, um, you know, that was that was kind of... Uh, this it's a weird thing uh that doesn't really get talked about of kind of the little difficulties you have as being a tall kid you know like um i feel like uh i feel like a lot of times in like especially like in disney channel movies and stuff like that you know who who's the bully in all those movies it's a fucking big fat kid who's a big bully and um you know I, I, it's it's funny how at the end of the, every one of those movies, like all they needed was a friend, like. Right. So it's kind of like could have just could have just started with that. To be honest, could have yeah, started by being friendly to them rather than ostracizing to the point where they became a really awful bully. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> and it was like it's so funny how it's like oh every every tall kid every big kid is emotionally stunted and can't control their emotions that so they must lash out on every other small uh person in the world uh, <laughs> um but it, it was kind of like in, in school though it it, it, it they're part of that uh i i guess like um you know i had i was never bull not really bullied bully there was some kids who would make fun of me and i was a bit of a sensitive kid and a sensitive soul um and i remember there was this one kid who uh nathan um who yeah let's fucking let's say his name uh <laughs> nathan um <laughs> i remember he uh he he would like he was almost a, he was a different type of bully he was fucking like um, he was like mentally this kid was like mentally genius of how he would bully you right he would he would come to school and he had a piece of chocolate cake and he was like, yo, Dave, do you want some chocolate cake? And I was like, yeah, I'll grab some chocolate. And then, like, I'm eating it. And he's like, then that's when he makes fun of me? It was like this whole, like... Yeah, right. Kind of real, a real bait bus style situation. Yeah, <laughs> a real was, lures you in and then just gets you. Yeah, it's almost like like Victorian era, like Shakespearean yeah. bullying. Like... <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah, look at this fatty loving his cake. Hang on, you gave me the cake. You baked the cake and gave me some cake and now you're bullying me because I'm eating the cake. Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, you know, so I, it, it's, it's incredible that I don't have as severe trust issues as I do. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay, so you didn't use your physicality to sort of become that stereotypical sort of big dude were you a sports person because i imagine when you're like big you know like people would love you to come and play their sports 100 percent. and nah that that i was i was never a sports person but and i guess that was a bit of the the source of um the source of tension uh between my dad and i um he was he was a huge he was a very uh very great cricketer and very great sports all around her in Darwin as well. Like, cause my dad grew up in Darwin. Um, so classic small town feeling of, you know, every time we walk down the street, you know, you got to, my dad has to have a 20 minute conversation with, um, some fucker he knew in high school. And every single time it would be like, my dad would be chatting. Then he goes, Hey, this is my son. And then the friend, my dad's friend would be like, wow, mate, you're huge. Do you play sport? And I'd be like, no. And I always just, there was, I guess that was my form of rebellion 
with my dad was I didn't like, uh, I just didn't fuck with it. I didn't, um, I, I've now grown up and I enjoy watching rugby and stuff and kind of gone into it my own way. But I just didn't like the, I just didn't, I just didn't like that raw, like, we let's go. I just didn't have that in me as a kid, you know? Um, and I didn't really want it either. That physical, you know, that anger that you have to tap into to play sport like that. Okay. So tell me what you were into then. So if you're not into sport and like, what are you doing, you know, as a kid growing up in Darwin to pass your time? I am watching, I mean, like the two guys you said before, Seth Rogen, Zach Galifianakis, and also uh, the third uh, member of this holy trinity of curly-headed dudes, uh, Will Ferrell, man. Those were, I was just watching so much of that. I mean, the first time I watched Superbad um, was, uh, you know, the, uh, everyone knows Superbad, that. I, I, at first time I watched that I was like this is this is the shit like this is exactly what I wanted to do that like that uh, comedy those that style of like uh, like mid 2000s comedy movies or like a real Judd Apatow kind of vibe like I was just watching those all the time and then um, I started writing uh, so I, then I started kind of before I even got into stand up comedy I just, I really wanted to be a screenwriter. So I downloaded, uh, and it was just something I could do because I wanted to make movies, but I didn't have any money. Have like, we were pretty like poor growing up. So didn't have any um, money to have any equipment for movie stuff. And, and every time I tried to make a, like a little film on like a phone or, or whatever, I just didn't like how it came out. So, and I was just like, all right, I'm just going to focus all my attention on writing and like create these stories just so I can like watch in my mind. And <clears throat> I remember I went to the, um, went to the library, the Palmerson library. Um, and I, I found one book on screenwriting and bought that and read it, uh, not bought it, sorry, borrowed it out and like read it like three times. It was the only book. <laughs> I like would still and I still have the book now it's like I got it like I bought it from like a secondhand thing um I'm glad you stipulated that and didn't just steal it from the library never yeah. returned it it's on my shelf I owe them nine thousand dollars yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I tell you I don't know if you know much about the Palmas uh about Palmerston um which is kind of like the the little town next to Darwin um you know they they would be the ones who would send debt collectors for a uh, for an overdue library book. Yeah, we've had we've had somebody come in and really want to check out that screenwriting book. Yeah. We've realised that dude from Triple J still has it, and we're sending somebody to collect the money. And we're going to break your kneecaps too, and you can read a book about that as well. So, have you written screenplays? Then did you like ever write an entire like movie screenplay or a screenplay for something? Yeah, man. I remember um, when I was, uh, so when I started uh, high school in like year 10. So that break between year nine and year 10, um, for my whole holidays, I just like sat in and wrote an entire like 90 page screenplay like by myself. And it was the first time like I had, like so when I like finished it it was like and I printed it all out and it was like and it looked like an actual screenplay 
And reading it now, it's trash. Uh, but I was just like, I just couldn't believe it. And I was just like, I'm going to make this movie. Yeah. And I'm, you know, and I started like, and I was like, having secret like producer meetings with my friends i'm like do you want to be a part of my movie and they were like yeah, yeah man um <laughs> and i mean i, I thought i would have been cool to have a try and actually make but you know I mean, just it didn't happen but you know that kind of feeling of it all being printed out and seeing it of like this product that i made i was just like man this is like the highest high right now um yeah okay okay so that's pretty amazing that's super cool like a thing to actually have done because it shows also that you can do it you know that idea that you Mm. have it in your hand regardless of what you'll learn as you go forward about like you know editing and rewriting and producing and making things the idea that you actually from start to finish actually did it and had it is a pretty powerful thing because it just I often think, I've, I've said to people before that I think the appeal of university is less about what you learn at university and more about the fact that you did something and you finished it. And you can mm. say, okay, if I put my mind to something, I can finish something. And I think that like what you've done is the idea of like a, you know, a masterclass. You did yourself a summer masterclass and you wrote a screenplay at the end of it. Yeah. It's quite incredible for somebody at that age to be doing. So then how does that become a career that we're seeing now, you know, stand-up comedy and radio and stuff like that. So at the end yeah. of year 12, do you feel like, so you finished school? So um, that's, so in year 10, that's when I started getting really into stand-up comedy. Um, so I didn't have home internet at home. We couldn't, uh, we had it for, uh, we had it for a, a year, um, but then... <laughs> The way that my mom got this, th- so my mom comes home one day, and she go, she comes in with the new iPhone four, and I think it was the first iPhone we had in the house, and my mom got it, uh, and my mom is the most technology illiterate person I have ever met in my life, like, but she had this phone, and she goes, I've got this phone and it's connected to the inter- home internet, so now we have it all. And we were just like, this is incredible. Home internet for the first time. Um, and this is about like 2000 and 2009, 2010. So like internet's a thing, but it's like for us, it was like, this is crazy. Um, Telstra had fucked her on something. This is also just for my mum. So I'm sure Telstra made a hundred percent sense and my mum just got tricked. But from her mouth, Telstra had fucked her on the deal and now it was way too expensive. So we're never having home internet again. Um, so then I start at a high school, and um, a big thing, a, a, a big thing, back then um, was like these. You had these hard drives, and you would download, um, you download all these torrented movies, and then you would just share them among your friends on these hard drives. So you kind of swap these hard drives and get all these movies, and my. Um, I forget who it was, but um, it was one of my mates had all these, uh, all the stand up in like a, in the clip, in like a fucking file. And so I had like a hundred stand up specials. And the one that I was all, I was like a fan of it growing up, but I always thought it was so unattainable. So, for example, like my dad would show us like Chris Rock and Richard Pryor. 
who were like still, you know, Richard Pryor, I think is literally the the greatest of all time. Like he's just like this stand-up special that I watched the live in concert, which was filmed in 1978. And then when I first watched it when I was 10 and I was still laughing, um, I just like, it still blows my mind now of like how someone's words from 50 years ago can still not only like you can, I, a 10 year old in Dar who grew up in Darwin can relate to it, but also like fucking like be, and even stuff I couldn't relate to. Like he's, have you, you you've seen live in concert? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, one of the, I was going to say that one of the great things about it is that so much stand up comedy does not date well because it yeah. is, you know, somebody talking about the times in which they live just by the nature of times changing means that like things can date really badly. It's the, you know, internet meme of people, you know, watching friends for the first time now and discovering that a whole bunch of the jokes are extremely problematic. And you're like, yeah, because like 20 years ago, the world was much more problematic. It's still plenty yeah. problematic, but you know, just in different ways. And 100%. so like, I mean, you can't watch, I mean, Eddie Murphy's first two specials are, like, I mean, the kid was 19 and 20 or 19 and 21 when he made, like, Roar and Delirious. But mm. there are parts of those shows that are literally, like, hate speech. <laughs> like, oh, you know, and you just, like, they were, and they were the biggest special, comedy specials in the world at the time. So I think one of the, you know, things about Prior is it's remarkable, not all of, but it's remarkable how much of what he was talking about is still sort of relevant and funny today. Man, it, it, it truly is because that's what, what I really learned from prior compared to Chris Rock and also Eddie Murphy, you know, and I loved Chris Rock. I love Chris Rock and Eddie Murphy. Um, but one thing about prior was, is that, uh, Richard prior, he just, he, these, the stories they told just personal to him. And like, you know, he opens the live and concert show with <laughs> the fucking, he, he starts it off with just, coming out and people are still going to the chairs and like and he's just starting and he's just riffing with the audience and it's like the most masterful start of a show because no one's ready for it mm. but you're just experienced and that's what fucking comedy is like you're never ready for comedy to <laughs> comedy so you just <laughs> gotta go um, and then does like 15 minutes of just you know, which I'm sure he's... I still watch it. Like, now, you know, uh, I like to think I know one or two things about when what people are doing on stage and, like, kind of knowing where they're going to go in their stand-up. But I still watch Richard's show and I'm like, what the fuck is worked on? What has he actually worked on? Because it just feels like he's coming out there and saying it. Like, he still tricks me. Well, I mean, I think it's probably a little combination of both and that's why it works so effectively because... <laughs> He was very famous, which I'm sure you'll know. Well, I think we're having this conversation more because like other people might not know this, but he was famous for getting up at the store or wherever, the comedy store in, in LA, literally without any material and like going on for an hour and just working ideas. And people who remember it, like who were there during the time seeing him work up mm. this special would say that the thing about Pryor was he was unafraid for it to be terrible for ages. Like, 100%. So many of us still, and I do improv shows all the time, but I tell you, I'm still terrified of them being terrible. I'm always looking for where's the next laugh, where's the next joke. Even if I'm completely spitballing off the top of my head, I'm looking for those beats where the audience will be laughing. Whereas prior, 
had apparently from reports this incredible courage where he would believe in a story or an idea to the point where he just did not care about like finding the cheap laughs in it he wanted to find the essential truth in it and i think that doing that night after night would battle harden you for the idea like walking out in front of some people still sitting down and starting would seem like nothing after doing that 100 percent, you know because it's like that that joke that he like kind of opens the show and when he's really getting into his uh like his set and his routine it's it's a story of him leaving his uh well it's the story of his wife leaving him um on new year's or something and he goes out and shoots the car like he so it's actually like like when you (laughs) taking one step back in especially in this time Mm. that we're in now It's a real story, terrible story. <laughs> imagine, imagine a headline tomorrow. Yeah. Dave Woodhead shoots a car because a, a, his girlfriend's trying. It would be like that's it. Yeah. You, it's you're done for. You're done. But he comes out and tells this story in such a beautifully human way, and also, of course, like you know, using um, uh, what's it? Person- Is it personification when you when something's not real? Sure. And yeah. <laughs> Uh, I'm sure. I'm sure someone will DM me. Actually, it's actually a whatever. Um, but yeah, it's like the way he would just tell this story of like giving everything life. Like the car had a life, and and then uh, it was just it's just incredible. So from that, I think that was like a real spark. Um, but then fast forward to year ten, um, you know, I'm watching. St- I had this file of stand-ups and I would just watch them all the time. And then I found, uh, I found, I guess it's, it's hard to talk about him now, but I found Louis CK. Uh, and, and, you know, I watched uh, his special, um, uh, I think, I think it was the, Oh my God one from like 2013. And yeah. And I was just like, after I saw that, I was like, all right, you, this actually this actually feels like a thing that i could do like he's really talking about like as richard would be talking about stories that was so out of this world and like something you couldn't relate and then louis really brought it down to breaking down everything in day-to-day life and that's what i was like all right that's kind of i want to do this now yeah, well, I mean, I think that you can do what Louis does on stage without having to do what Louis does off stage. One, you know, like as long as you're not like, you know, what I love about this guy—the way that he locks the door and masturbates in front of people yeah. who don't want it. If that was the that takeout, then I'd be like, well, Dave, I think you've got the wrong message from this. But it's, yeah, it's I mean, got- I mean, it's one of the reasons I've been so disappointed in how Louis has come back from, you know what he like what he did is that he was somebody who had the capacity to reconcile his poor behavior and like he's clever enough and he's bold enough that he could have come back and like really genuinely dealt with the wrong that he had caused other people and I think that there was a pathway back for him and it's incredibly disappointing to me that he hasn't done that that he seems to have like you know taken another option yeah, it, it, I, I 100% agree. It's definitely like, that's kind of what has been funny watching this uh, 
not funny that's the wrong term i guess w what's been really interesting watching louis which i'm sure other comics uh you know uh, other comics and other people as well had watching a cosby like so cosby's one is just like that's a situation where it's like this guy's a fucking monster he's there's no like, that is no coming back from that evil shit and really like sick fuck shit and like louis what he did i think is also really fucking bad and really and but like you said there is there was that moment mm. where everyone was like okay he there is that slight chance and i think sh what louis had did done to kind of come back and not address it and and the way he did address it i i thought that was ego getting in the way of him you know i thought that's someone who's been told he's been the best for you know since i started liking him since like 2015 to 2020 whenever uh whenever 20 wait 2013 to 2016 or whatever you know that um i just thought i i just thought like man this is someone who you know i don't really i don't really like him as a person anymore still yeah. a great comic but as a person it's just like you know i can't see us <laughs> ever <laughs> i don't see us hanging out again not like we did <laughs> <laughs> not like you did in the old days in the yeah. good old days <laughs> But yeah, no, it's um, yeah. It was really, it was really discouraging. But also, I, I think um, you know, from that, if if there's any light of any the situation, it's to learn from. You know, sometimes learning from your heroes is uh, it's a hard lesson, which is don't be like them. <laughs> you know? Yeah, right. But that's a good insight. I like that because that's. I think we can often learn from people's behavior in all sorts of ways. You know, the idea that we need to entirely yeah. emulate those that we respect for one thing is i think a really flawed idea in general in fact i think sometimes we're more challenged i think yeah. this is a moment where i know personally because i was a huge fan of louis as a comedian he was he's a great comedian mm. he terribly clearly you know like and we've all by the way done things that i think that we you know like over our lives we have all made mistakes and we will all continue to make mistakes. And you hope that when you do make a mistake, when you do fuck something up, that you would have the courage to, you know, take it on board, realize that you fucked up and find a path out of, you know, out of it in a positive way. 100%. That's, you know, it's good to learn. I think you learn more from people you like, you know, I'm challenged more by Louis than I would be if that had been some person that I absolutely hate and they had done the same thing. I'd be like, yeah, well, of course they did. Cause they've always been a dickhead and I've always hated them. I'm more challenged by trying to go, well, why is this person whose work I liked like doing these really terrible things in real life and not, you know, kind yeah. of reconciling with them properly. 100%. You know, I, I, you know, I, I feel like with um with so much of um with so much of you know i i believe it's important to call out uh, bad uh you know bad things people do um but it's definitely then it comes so if you kind of think it was like it's a pendulum shift of like louis had it and then it went uh because he was called out rightfully so for the awful things he did so how do you come back from it and you know showing humility which i think it's it's the weirdest thing as a comic uh a lot of times and it even it's like if you even take it back from superstar of louis ck to base level shit you see every day in the scene um 
it's like how can you not show some humility when you're a fucking comic that's our whole job is to go look how fucking silly i am look how stupid i am and it's just like (laughs) sometimes hey sometimes you have to show humility without a punchline you know which i think for comics sometimes that can be a bit fucking really hard to get your head around i love that man that's a really good way of expressing it so tell me then about um because i could talk to you about the complexities of this all day but i'm sure that people listening to the podcast who are like well let's move on to some other stuff so i will and you know and you know what's really cool um just me and you two bros talking about me too you know (laughs) (laughs) i don't think sort this out (laughs) well you know what though i think it is important that if you're if it's not two bros on a podcast saying uh, hey, Louis really funny, so who should be able to masturbate in front of everybody that he wants? I don't care. This is bloody cancel culture. Can't even yeah. get your dick out in front of a complete stranger who doesn't want it anymore. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Oh, like, uh, I think yeah. it is important when you're n- not making that point to yeah. acknowledge that, like, I mean, because I think, you know, I don't think people have a right to a path to redemption necessarily, but he was offered one. There was a, I think the great, the thing that disappoints me the most was, there was a glimpse of time there where people would like there was a path to redemption and he for whatever reason refused to take it and that's almost the thing that apart from you know obviously the actual major thing that he did the thing that disappoints me the most apart from that is the fact that you know i would hope you talk about that idea of calling out behavior I think it's got to start by calling out your own behavior. And that doesn't always have to be a public thing. Like you don't always have to go like, you know, every bad thing you do in your life, you have to get out there and go, here are all the bad things that I've done. But don't wait to get caught to a fucking address, like, you know, times that you've got shit wrong. Like, you know, call out yourself and see if your own behavior like matches the words that you're willing to speak. Dude, 100%. It's that, you know, um, uh, it's it's a real funny thing this whole uh, the time that we're in now you know and I might even just do a little timestamp, you know for future Dave and mm. future Will and future everyone uh, right now in Sydney we're, we're in this lockdown um, because of you know all a bunch of shit the government fucking up the vaccine rollout people on the street blah, 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 people not listening in the first place whatever reason we're in lockdown right now um, but in my personal life, what has been happening is that I, uh, I, I've just finished, I, 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 I'm talking to like it's a TV show. I just finished a relationship, uh, with this, uh, woman, um, that I was working with for a couple of months there. Um, no. Had a, um, had a great, rap, had a great rap party. Really great uh, rap really. party. Really? Yeah. <laughs> oh, the cast and crew were beautiful. Um, uh, no, but you know, I, I've just, um. Did not get renewed, but we had a great time. <laughs> Yeah, unfortunately, the executives just wanted to move into a new direction. Yeah. Um, um, but what's so what's so funny is that you know I I've uh, was the period between when we were kind of just about to go back into lockdown, like this, the cases were coming up in Bondi, and people were talking like we might go back into another lockdown. Um, during that time, uh, I was talking to my ex. Um, and just kind of checking in. And I made the stupid mistake of asking if she's seen other people. And and then she said yes. And it hurt. And it sucked. And, and then we went back into lockdown. And I... My brain... 
you know, just because of where we are in, you know, you're only in your four walls, nothing else to do. You're upset. You start, I just started fucking going through every single possible direction of why this relationship broke down. Um, and it was an unhealthy thing to do at first because I think second guessing yourself and all of your decisions that you make, it's an awful fucking thing and it can make you really, really feel bad. But when you're able, and like when you're able to kind of come out of it um, and start learning that you have to be nice to yourself and realizing everything that you did, like if you thought you made this huge mistake and then you just kind of really reflect on it and you go, oh, actually it wasn't that bad. Or like it wasn't, you know, I don't know. It's it's kind of learning to forgive yourself is is super. And calling your own uh, things out and then learning to forgive yourself, it's a really powerful tool. Yeah, I absolutely agree with you. And it's about examining those moments. And then, I mean, and not it's not always an easy thing to be able to do because there is a fine line between like forgiving yourself and like, you know, letting yourself off the hook for things that you're, you know, like, I mean, you've got to choose which ones you can, uh, you know, you can forgive and which ones you need to work on and sort of, you know, make up for and those sort of things. But I do think it is important. And I think it's important mm. that we are constantly, you know, you timestamp that we're in the middle of a Sydney lockdown. But, you know, comedy, as we've discussed, you know, it also almost needs a timestamp because it yeah. moves so quickly. There are things that we are saying today that will very much seem outdated in five years or 10 years from now. People will be like, I can't believe they had that perspective on that. Like, 100%. you know, and so if you're not constantly examining that, I think that's when you get left behind. That's when you become one of those people who says, oh, well, you can't say anything anymore. You know, you can't even bloody, you know, you know use racial slurs to get a laugh anymore. <laughs> it's exactly. political correctness gone mad. And, and, and you know what? You know what's so wild? You know what's so wild of us? If, and it's just exactly what I said then mm. of um, us talking about that whole, the, you know, the Louis situation. I think five years ago when the Me Too movement uh, was really starting, I don't think me and you could talk about it which was okay, which was not even okay. It was what was right. You know, we needed to, you know, um, men needed to listen. Shut the fuck up. Yeah. Exactly. Shut the fuck and up now, and listen for a while. And, and five years later, oh, we yeah. want to talk again. Uh, but it's also kind of like, <laughs> it's more like reflecting our learning on our own, on our own silence. But yeah. Yeah, well, I think that I hope that that is the case. Maybe I'm wrong. There's a great moment in Bo Burnham's Inside, the most referenced comedy special that I talk about in regard to anything. But um, where he's talking about the idea that as a like a, a white man, maybe he should shut the fuck up, and then it just pauses for about like four beats, and then he goes, "I'm bored," and <laughs> starts talking again. And you're like, so there may be an element of that about it, but I actually think that. It's important that men are also in this conversation because if we consider sexual assault to be of women to be a women's issue or the, like having women get paid the same as men and closing the wage gap to mm. be a women's issue or having more women in politics to be something that women are interested in and if men don't engage in that conversation as like trying to be proper allies, not saying, hi, this is what a feminist looks like, but mm. just actually trying to engage in understanding what it is that women are fighting for and also lobbying for that. I think 
it doesn't work until we engage at least in some way in this conversation. 100%, man. Yeah, it's... Uh, and it also, that kind of, you know, that theory and mindset, um, it's also, I feel, important with now um, and also the race uh, the race movement, uh, with like the, especially with the Black Lives Matter, but, um, you know, with everything happening now, man, it, it's it's... I feel like it. I feel like that one's also a little bit harder uh, because people aren't shutting the fuck up. I think like sometimes mm-hmm. like, I'm. Like, I've said it before. I'm. I'm Torres Strait Islander. Um, and you know, I think this time last, around this time last year, when all the Black Lives Matter protests were happening, that was a really freaking hard time um, because it was bringing up a lot of, you know, um, I guess things that it, it's. It's it's kind of hard to talk about all of of how you feel because you don't want people to take you out of context. And you always want to say the right thing. And it's like sure. sometimes I just know myself to know that like, hey, what I feel is right. Sometimes with my words, I don't even know like how to really put it in words. And that's when I'm kind of that's why like for a lot of times with Black Lives Matter, like I felt this whole thing as a Torres Strait Islander, I wanted to represent and I do but i also know that i'm not an activist in the sense of i i, I can't i'm not going to write a 1400 or twenty thousand word essay on the race race relationships for the past hundreds of years in this country and the world but yeah so yeah but okay but it is part of your identity and like yeah. i spoke to a, a bunch of australian friends of all um, you know, Aboriginal Australians, Torres Strait Islanders, um, you know, but not just like, you know, friends of mine who are, you know, who were refugees, who, you know, have like black skin who live in this country, who found those protests to be, I guess even I didn't realise how big a moment that it felt to them. And this is only anecdotal. I'm only talking about a handful of yeah. people that I spoke to about this. So I'm not saying it was necessarily the case across the board, but it feels like it w- was really kind of landing home in a way that even I, as someone who was interested in that and aware of it and knew what was behind it, expected. So did you find that to be the case for you as well? Did it affect you more than you thought you might be affected by it? I, yeah, it really did. It, 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 I really did because... Um, you know, I think it's, it's like this for a lot of, uh, I think also sometimes with, uh, kind of a, it's, it's something with like in Aboriginal culture, when, when people say we need to have these discussions and we need to have these conversations, it's like, I definitely agree. But also one thing in a lot of Aboriginal culture and Torres Strait culture, um, is shame. You know, shame's a big thing in mm-hmm. culture, uh, in of like, you know, you don't want to bring shame to yourself, but also you don't want to bring shame to your mob. Um, so when you talk, like talking about, I think one thing that's been nice about this, uh, about Black Lives Matter is that it's showing that it's not shameful to care about your life, you know, which I think because of all the past, you know, uh, fucking, um, I was going to say restrictions, but that's not the right word. I'm just in that Corona mindset. Um, I don't know, just that weight of, you know, oppression. Yeah, um, systematic oppression. Systematic oppression, yeah. Um, you know, that just brings a lot of shame, like, to who you are as a person and kind of 
I think it's it's a lifelong. It's, it's I'm, also, I'm also aware that for it's it's like this for everyone. I mean, everyone really is just trying to find out who they are. Um, and I think what makes it harder for um, people of color is that hey, sometimes you're not represented by everything, and. That's but also, there, 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 with, I mean, um, not yeah. for me to tell you about it, but I, my observation of it is, and this is, you know, really formed a lot through Adam Goods and how he was treated, which was, it, it's fine to be black, it's not fine to be proud of it. Like, there has been a, an entire thing in Australia for a very long time, which is, like, you're not allowed to be proud you, you really do have to be ashamed of who you are. You have to be ashamed of history. And that was clearly because, I mean, it's a great tactic to, you know, cover up from the fact that it really is the colonisers who should be ashamed of the fact that they came yeah. and stole the country and took it away from its original people and completely disenfranchised them and killed a whole bunch of them. That is actually where the shame should be. So it was a great trick played by, you know, colonialism to disenfranchise an entire population of people from any pride in who they were. Yeah, one hundred percent, man, and um, it yeah, it, it's 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 so like that of um, you know, like in Darwin, um, to take it back there, you know, I I went to my my dad and well, both my parents really wanted a good education for me, um, like that was always and and I thank them for that, and they put me in the school, um, I won't name it, just just uh. If people know Darwin, they can. They can. It, it was the it was the private school in Darwin that's not religious, um, and it, it's the thing was like when I say private school, I think a lot of people will go straight to a down south private school of like you have the hat and the little suit and the fucking whatever. Um, in Darwin, it's still a private school and it wanted to be that, but it wasn't because it was in Darwin, and that's just. <laughs> it wanted to be the top but it wasn't um and but there was still a lot of like you know i had a lot of there was a lot of rich kids um who you know and there was race in there and they didn't feel amazing about black people and as me being a white passing um indigenous person you know there was a lot of cultural and you know mindset of who who i am and what's right and what's wrong and you know i i guess what and this has kind of been a real circle back to the first question um with comedy is like now in high school trying to find something you identify with well, for me that was comedy you know like that was like the real man we all right we're fucking like you know the richards and the louis ck's like and then and Bill Burr's and then all this thing was now like, okay, I identify with this. Like this is, it's great having these really dark ideas and like, you know, but making them really funny and palatable to people. That's what really like, you know, got me. And, and then from that, I then I just started becoming obsessed. Like so, the obsessiveness I felt with screenwriting. Um, that's when I started becoming obsessed with stand up and would watch it all the time. Like and then had it in my headphones. I would download comedy albums and then just listening to school on the bus and then coming back. Um, 
So then I found this thing that was happening in Darwin called uh, Class Clowns from New Orleans Comedy Festival. So for people um, that don't know what Class Clowns is, Class Clowns... So the, the people definitely would yeah. have probably heard of Raw Comedy, which is the national sort of new comedians mm. competition that uh, um, that uh, Triple J runs in uh, conjunction with the um, uh, the Melbourne International Comedy Festival, have done for a very long time now, and a whole, whole bunch of household names, people that, you know, people would know, like Hannah Gadsby, people like that have come through the the raw comedy competition, mm. there is a more junior version of that, which is called Class Clowns, which is the same concept or a similar concept pitched at um, high school students. Yeah, and and it was... Uh, yeah, you're exactly right. Yeah, it's this junior raw comedy. And I remember I, I found out that they were coming to Darwin, um, and this was in year 10. And so this is like March, it was happening. So I signed up to it and was just like, all right, fuck, I'm going to do stand-up. So then I had to start writing stand-up and which was, so from film of like, you know, you're, you're now in, when you're writing a film, you know, a film, you're writing characters, you're projecting ideas of how a world should be. But now with stand-up, what I started to learn was now, I have to write about myself, you know, because the the stand-up that I loved was Richards and and the fucking Louis C.K.'s. And so now I have to look in what is happening in my surrounding and figure out what is funny. And, but I didn't do that at the start because I didn't want to write something about myself. So I just started writing jokes about what's happening in the world and, and observational shit. Um, and which I'm sure they were cute, but for me, I just didn't like them. I just was like, this is bad writing. These jokes are not funny. These aren't hitting, uh, these aren't relatable to me at any point. And I couldn't remember them when I was saying them. Um, so then this is all happening in the span of like the month since I signed up. So it was a month uh, waiting time before I had to go do the gig. And the weekend before it, um, before the class clowns, uh, cause there was no, it was just the finals and down cause there was not many people signing up. So you just had one workshop and one gig, whoever wins that goes to Melbourne. And I became so like the weekend before my stomach was so sick. Like I just, there was this pain in my stomach. Um, and I now realized it was, I thought it was like I was just sick from something I ate. Now it's like, oh no, that was your intense anxiety. Like cripple, it was mm. crippling. It's just good to know that that young, you can experience something that you will go on to experience for the rest of your comedic life. <laughs> <laughs> the rest of... <laughs> I, and this is a shout, and this is for any young comics or anyone listening who might be interested in comedy. Um, that feeling mm. unfortunately doesn't go away, and it now becomes it comes part of other aspects of your life of like, oh fuck, am I getting yeah. fired today? <laughs> oh, this sucks. Or like, back then it was. I hope people like my whittle jokes. Um, but I um. You know, and then God bless my mum, who was I was living with at the time, and she, I was. It was the closest thing I got to a bratty 
teenager i was snapping like i was just like leave me alone i'm writing my comedy um get out of here mom i need to figure out why the chicken crossed the road uh, but it, it didn't really click on until the weekend uh like the day before the gig i had no material and i was freaking out and i just started writing about my sister like and it just ways that she annoyed her but then also uh that i annoyed uh that she annoyed me but what was actually really making me laugh of times that i annoyed her um which was you know and i guess that healing thing of like you know kind of reflecting on my own actions and not celebrating them but kind of going oh man i was a little shit back then um so i wrote this five minutes and then i would go to the gig and this is also this you know what's it's it's funny i'm talking to you about this because the way that the comedy scene the australian comedy scene i kind of i don't know what it feels like now for people watching but in 20 so in 2013 2010 um no, no wait 2000 2014 this was um the australian comedy scene to me was you and husey in darwin that's all i knew is like australian comics you know um so i for this club <laughs> it's gonna sound weird now but back then i was like i wonder if will anderson's gonna be our class clown because <laughs> um, right. yeah. they said that you work with the comic to do the workshop <laughs> <laughs> and and now it's like now that's like oh you know fucking will's got so much stuff going on but i was just like i just that's all i knew of what the comedy scene was like a husey and a will anderson and um and so i rocked up and it was uh it was xavier michelides um oh great and yeah right and first thought was i don't know this guy <laughs> like I, yeah right because every this, comic i actually, every comic i saw or was like i know right. exactly who the comic is so this guy is like i don't know this yeah. fucking dude um and then he he went us th he then he put on the workshop and i was like this guy's the fucking best comic i've ever seen in my life like right yeah <laughs> i mean he is a good comic by the way like knows his fucking shit a super funny guy too dude he is he's he's amazing and he's um and that workshop that he did i'm it's so funny now reflecting on because now i can imagine exactly what he was thinking back then of like going fuck i go up to darwin you know do this little sh gig and get the hell out of there um <laughs> I, mean, I, don't, I also don't everyone's I, gonna be real disappointed <laughs> that i'm not husey <laughs> Oh, I bet there's going to be this fucking, fucking Woodhead's going to be there. He's going to give me shit. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but I, I, I genuinely, I didn't know. Um, I didn't know. Uh, like I, I, yeah, he just, he did when he did this workshop and I was kind of like, it clicked. That's when it clicked in that, um, you know, oh, you don't have to be, I don't know. It's like, there is, it is not like comedy's not a, world you know you don't start off in theaters and arenas and it's party time 
and like it's you know it's you got to work and stuff um uh and i so i did my set uh, and we workshop through it and then i did the show and um i just before the gig like uh, look let me, let me i'll put a bit more time explain of how the day went um for the class clown so you start off at like four o'clock you get in there you meet the comic guy so xavier he did this workshop of kind of like little tips we all ran through our sets in front of everyone like so there was like five other kids in this competition mm-hmm. and watching through the all the sets there was this other girl called grace bruxner who i don't know if she even does comedy anymore but she was fucking hilarious and she was um she was exactly she was hilarious in the way that i wasn't where she was doing observational stuff and one-liners mm-hmm. but they were really funny one-liners and really like really great joke writing um and i was in awe of that um from her because i was like oh my god it's a girl like that's my age who's also super funny and then i my stuff about my sister was also work like worked in the room um because i was going on with these loose ideas like it was all written but i kind of had more of a presence about me with being a tall Mm. kid you know but still it had i think i had a little beard going as well so i just i looked older and i that kind of that confidence of even though i'm 16 you guys are listening to what i'm talking about because this is like real shit um you know and so i realized like we did so we did it all in front of each other um and i started having a bit more confidence because i was like okay i know the only person who might be able to beat me is grace and but i feel like on if we had like an hour break before showtime it's like if i can just keep my mind in the game i can i can beat grace because that was the whole thing as well because i was like this is a competition um so i (laughs) i um so we have the little break between ourselves and then we go back into the room and all the parents and other people who bought tickets come in and they're sitting down and the show starts xavier michaelides is am singing and he's crushing like i don't i don't know why he had to crush so hard like he, <laughs> he definitely was like, <laughs> probably to prove a point to you because <laughs> yeah. you were muttering under your breath <laughs> where's will anderson he's like i'll fucking show you <laughs> i'll fucking murder yeah, you... just before you come on to be honest <laughs> yeah. and then you'll remember my name <laughs> i think like when i walked on stage he grabbed my hand and whispered in my ear he was like yeah follow that fuckhead um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> wouldn't it be great he's the sweetest guy in the world but i i love another w- world where he volunteers to do this just because he likes to crush young people's dreams and he just went state to state murdering yeah. in between these class clowns competitions and then just bringing these kids on to relative silence and then coming back and crushing again <laughs> And it's like talking shit about the acts between. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, yeah, like, just like, whoa, that's a person. Last time you'll see that motherfucker. He's got a beard. Is he an undercover cop? Yeah. Has an undercover cop come into this competition? <laughs> he was still no good. Anyway, I'm the X Man. Our next act. <laughs> it was so like that. It was so good. Um, yeah, he was, um, <laughs> but we, <laughs> we were doing the show and then, um, there was a moment where I was kind of having a, like a moment to myself when I was just really thinking about my act. 
and I like I don't I, I think I took a seat on like um like a milk crate or something and it's like the act before it was like this act and then me so I'm having two seconds just to really have my last thoughts and like gather myself completely and then my when I sat down the thing my pants just ripped like my pants ripped right on the crotch so like <laughs> balls could come out <laughs> and that all the moment of calm that I was feeling it went straight back into fucking increasing pain of like yeah. I can't fucking do this but then it was too late to think about it because Xavier's up there and he goes ladies and gentlemen next next uh, next act is David Woodhead and I walk up there and I pulled my shirt down to my knees to try and stretch it out so it doesn't see and I start my set and I'm becoming really obvious that I'm holding my shirt down. <laughs> and then I like I, I get I get one joke out out the way. I think I I think I started yeah. with like how how the fuck are you cunts? Like that was me. I swore enough to make it look like I was older. So like how the fuck are right. you cunts? But in Darwin, that crush everyone because we haven't heard yeah. a cunt in five minutes. So. In Darwin audiences, they're like, mate. Like, well, I was going to say, Xavier's probably working cleaner because, <laughs> yeah. you know, he's hosting this he's, comedy competition. So <laughs> he's working clean and he's crushing. And I just walk in and say, how are you, cunt? To get a huge fucking laugh. Um, <laughs> so. Um, Wait until they see my balls. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> I call this the Louis. No. Uh, <laughs> um. But I, um, you know, I, I, uh, I finished, I, I started, I got the big laugh and, you know, uh, every comic has their story about the first big laugh, but man, it is like, you know, just the most, it's, it's like you, it's the highest high that you fucking will ever experience, you know? Mm. Um, it's got a touch of, uh, I've never tried heroin, but, uh, for people I've heard about heroin, Apparently there's that, I think sometimes the second time in, maybe the first time it doesn't work, but sometimes the second time in, there's this thing where it feels so good that you realize it's going to ruin the rest of your life. And mm. it very much can be the same with stand-up comedy. Sometimes that first big proper laugh when you manage to unite a room full of people with nothing more than your imagination, you just go, all right, okay, I guess the rest of my life's ruined chasing that. <laughs> Brother, it's it's it, like you can't be more on the money because I finished the set and I've realized throughout when I started it was me holding my fucking shirt down and then yeah. when it was at the end like getting that big laugh you're feeling it mm. and this is how sometimes like when you said before of like you know how impressive it is uh, I wrote a screenplay and stuff like that I think just with how life is you know I, I always kind of am focusing on the next thing so sometimes you f I forget to reflect um, but it's that thing like of when like I started off like that you know holding my shirt down so my balls don't pop out to throw my arms out and I'm riffing on stage like, I'm like I go off my set list that I spent so long trying to write and just throwing out a random joke when I felt it was the time to do it and then getting a laugh off that it was just like the most like 
surreal experience. And then I walked off stage and it's the first time I was like, I didn't think about it as a competition. I was like, the class clown, com- it, didn't, it didn't matter to me. I was just like, I just did fucking stand-up comedy. I am fucking, Lu- like, I am Louis. I am Richard Pryor right now. Like, there was like nothing you could tell me. And, um, uh, and then uh, fast forward to the end of the night, we're announcing the winners. Um, Grace, uh, Grace Bruxner, uh, she won. Uh, she beat me. And I was, I thought I would be fucking devoted, but I was really happy for her. Like, and I was like genuinely so happy because I was like, I knew that she was super funny and I've got what I needed. I now know I'm super funny because I crushed in this room. So I don't mind. I don't, I didn't need anything more from that night than just that. And I think my mum, because I, I didn't let my parents come and watch. I, I, I didn't want them to see it. Um, so they came and picked me up after the gig and I come out literally looking like a heroin fucking junkie my pants are ripped i'm shaking and they come out and they're like how'd it go and i was like it was the best night of my life it was it was fucking incredible mate i could talk to you all day but uh you know i have some standard questions that i ask on this podcast and uh, i want to get to some of those so one of them is i ask people if they have a life philosophy do you have a life philosophy of any kind um look a part of me I have I have a couple, but I, I think one one thing always and it is always lame, but it's really just the power of moving forward, you know. And I think I think also moving forward and being kind to yourself because I think when people say move forward, it means fucking crush every feeling you have until you can't. It's like no, that's not the case. Um, take like right now in this pandemic, it's so hard for so many people um and i think if 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 you're in one of the lucky positions like me where your only concern is i can't leave the house and i'm bored this is the time to really feel your feelings you know be if you're upset man be fucking upset if you're happy be happy that's the most important thing if you're feeling happy don't step in front of your own happiness why would you do that if you're feeling sad please like feel fucking sad don't don't lie to yourself and be up you're going oh fucking great like man break down in tears ha- eat some ice cream <laughs> <laughs> um i think that that is a, a very good attitude and it seems like a very mature attitude how did you get to that point yourself because i mean you're a young man and that is something that normally life has to knock you around a whole bunch of times to get to the point that you've got to with that so um has the pandemic accelerated that thinking is it just something that you were inherently aware of was it a lesson learned by some particular incident man it's um i'll I'll be honest this pandemic it's it's not like this pandemic's the worst thing to happen in my life um but it's the time when i've been able to reflect on things that like you know when I say, uh, and I think it's for a lot of people, when I say my parents broke up, you know, everyone has the story of, not everyone, Some there are the lucky uh, ones out there um, who parents stay together and all that, but everyone's family is different. And even if your parents stay together, hey, that could be a really fucked up marriage. You know, everyone knows what a fucked up relationship is. Um, for some, it's harder to get out of it than other. Uh, my parents, unfortunately, weren't, 
the most compatible people, both lovely people. What I've been able to reflect on my parents is they are not good together, but they are good people. Um, and unfortunately, because of circumstances of not having money, um, mental health issues from both sides, I'm, I'm trying to be as diplomatic as possible in case yeah. both of my parents listen. I'm like, it's neither. <laughs> I'm like now older. Hello to, hello to both of you. <laughs> David, David loves you both very much. He thinks you're both very wonderful. He just has a point to make about his own realizations around his life that can't help but reference you guys. And he wants you to be very cool with the idea that he's not blaming one or the other of you, that you're both very cool individually. Look, you guys know the relationship didn't work out. That's why you split apart. It's okay. It's already on the public record. You guys knew before I did. Yeah. Um. Yeah. You guys got it. He's just getting it now and he's going to tell me about it. It's, It's this, it's this um it's this really funny thing of you know loving what love really is uh i think love is the most important thing in the world i genuinely believe that and it is a um it's not always the cool thing to say and it's it never is cool to go like you know i love love but i think one thing about love that is uh so missing is the actual definition where unconditional love is never that's not real everything has conditions you know and and it's that and that's okay because you can't love something uh if it's not going to work do you know what i'm is this coming off as do you, are you getting it no no yeah. I'm, I'm understanding what you're saying so yeah, far it's that it's that thing of like you know with with uh with my parents, I, I felt like kind of the annoying thing is that even though they were split up, they were, because of the, all those circumstances, there was always that thing that kind of linked them together, including me and my sister. Um, I kind of would have preferred, I mean, woulda, shoulda, coulda. I really wish that they could have, it really be free from each other to go and experience their own life. And um, because I want to do that now. That's why I'm in Sydney and, you know, not living in Brizzy or Darwin. Uh, and not that anyone who lives there, that's fine. No, then live your life to the fullest. But for me personally, I want to be in Sydney right now. I love going to, you know, even the fact that I'm working at fucking Triple J, like that is crazy to me. Like that is just like a whole thing of like, how did this happen? And... I just feel like, yeah, you should just, whatever your passion is in life, like, man, you got to just follow it hundred percent. And I've been lucky enough for some that it's right now it's working out. I'm also very aware that, <laughs> you know, um, got to, you know, keep on the say it's this, shit's not set in stone. You know, I'm not going to go out here and party like a rock star and, uh, you know, fuck up everything. But, um, yeah, I just, I just, I just really think if you've, if there's something in your life that you want to do, do it. And also, you don't have to be, you know, if even if like you want to try stand up or, or if you you like music, um, I just do it. And you don't have to make it your whole life and career. Just have it as your thing, you know, that you hold. I, I say, I say this to people all the time. Like people will come to me, you know, and say, I've always wanted to try stand up, and uh, I say, well, just try it. 
I wanted to try skydiving. I went to a place and a guy strapped me to his front and we jumped out of a plane. Mm. I liked it enough that I did it another time. And then I was like, okay, that itch has been scratched. I don't need to jump out of any more planes. Like it can be the same with stand-up. You can, it can be that you can try it once and it can be a dinner party story. Just because you try it doesn't mean that you have to spend the next 20 years of your life pursuing it as a career. Maybe you love stand-up, but you don't love, love performing. Guess what? There's a giant industry around stand-up comedy. You could work at a festival. You could be a tech. You could Ooh. like run a venue. You could be a publicist. You can be a manager. Like There is so many jobs that are adjacent to the industry that if you have a passion for something, you could start a website where you review comedy. You know, you could write a blog. Mm. You could you know record albums like there is so many ways you can be and all those things obviously being the same with music like there is infrastructure around music yeah that you can be a music fan or want to be involved in the music industry without being on stage playing guitar or singing into a microphone 100 percent. you know like it's it's so funny like um and i, I i'm sure you had the same experience uh you know when you started triple j of coming from a comedy world and you go into Triple J and it is, you know, comedy, I think, I think that's an under, I think one thing, um, it might be underrated in the view of Australia, but comedy plays such a huge reason of why Triple J is what it is. You know, I, I think, um, I mean, of course, you know, with alumni like you, I mean, Tom Ballard, Matt O'Kine, you know, those are the fucking... Don't, that's like the future that, that's like Australia royalty comedy royalty I reckon um, but also one thing of like the side of like music I have become I've always loved music but now uh, working at Triple J it's like it's kind of this whole new I'm now loving the business of, I'm so interested of how these uh, like I would never do it as a personal career because it doesn't interest me that much, but I love watching how these labels work, and then also I love this like an independent artist how they email and they're DM, they're trying to they're on their grind because they DM me to listen to their songs, and I try and listen to as much as I can. I don't have all the time in the world to listen to, you know, some guy at Byron fucking play guitar and talk about his dog or whatever. <laughs> but. <laughs> Sounds pretty good, though. I mean, that's basically the tones and eye backstory. Yeah. So you never know. Yeah, and that, you know <laughs> so I'm sure there's going to be one that slips through the cracks. Um, but <laughs> you know, um, but yeah, it's just it's it's just really looking at everything. Um, you know, and and even I don't want this to come off as a fucking fairy floss. Like life is amazing all the time because there are going to be some bad points. But it's also just when you're enjoying what you're doing. It's okay to be a little bit upset with other things you can't control, but also when you can look at what you can control and what you're doing at the moment, if you can just have any sort of appreciation for that and really hold on to that in your times when you don't feel great, then that will get you through so much and you, that people don't even know. Um, you talked about love and I just want to, before we go on, like have, like just back over that a little because I've been thinking about it a lot recently. So um, I won't go into too many details about that this story, but a friend of mine is a massive anti-vaxxer and like, you know, has gone down the like conspiracy hole of, you know, mm. yeah, all the sort of things around that movement. And I was, you know, I've been trying to talk to them in a way that, because like you know you think 
early on, you know, it's so easy to just like look at these people and go, you're an idiot and you believe idiotic things and like, mm. you know, none of the science backs up what you think. And like, there's a, there is a part of me, like there's probably in, in the old days, it would have been like 90% of me that just would have been like, you're an idiot for believing this, you know, this is why you're wrong, you know, like yada, 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 yada. Yeah. Whereas like I try now to connect with love a little bit more, which is I love that person. I love them. What is the best way to get through to this person that you love? Mm -hmm. Like, forget that the things that they're saying are idiotic. You don't love their ideas. You hate their ideas, but you love them as a person. So how can you... And for me, sometimes with them, it's me knowing that I'm not going to be able to change their mind at the moment, but that they know that when they do change their mind, hopefully when they you know, find out that like they're pursuing something that isn't the, you know, the right direction, that there is someone around who hasn't completely cut them off 100%. for you know wanting to bang on about those things all the time. And that to me starts with reminding yourself to love, like, right, yeah. you know, connect with the love bit. You, you know, you know, this is, um, this is what's a funny thing that reminded me of this whole, um, you know, anti-vax freedom march. Um, it was that moment when we that is exactly of like, the first reaction was what idiots. And then, but, have, but it's just, I don't know if just the way, the way that society has progressed that we now just think about things a little bit deeper. I, re I, re I read this really great thing of, it helps with anxiety as well, of when you're feeling anxious. So for example, this is, and this is like a little bit, this might be a little too real. It's like when I, uh, after breakups, it's happened before, I get really anxious. I get that feeling of anxiety. I don't know why it's anxiety. Uh, but it, I start feeling anxious about, oh my God, what, who, uh, what are they doing? Are they, you know, seeing other people? Are they this or they that? And I realized what, if you think about, the thing I read was like, if you have an anxious thought, ask yourself why you're feeling that. So, and be really brutally honest with yourself. Because if I ask, if, if it's like, if someone like, you know, an ex is seeing someone new and it's like, oh, why are they? Why are they fucking, if they're seeing someone new, why am I scared of that? Now, I know myself personally that I'm not the, like my soul and my human, I don't want people to be stagnant and not be with anyone. So my problem actually isn't that uh, the ex has seen someone else. My problem is that I am feel lonely. <laughs> so, and I'm, and you know whose problem that is? Mine. And it's okay to be, and just know, all right, it's okay to be alone. Right now, we're in a fucking pandemic. Everyone's alone. Um, and also, I don't know what the fuck um, her thought process is right now. She might need time to herself. Or she might need something that I can't provide. And that's okay too, because right now, I'm on, I'm doing the, one of the most selfish comedy, uh, the most selfish career paths, which is comedy. And it's okay. That is okay to be selfish. Um, if you're pursuing something that really means something to you. Um, and that's kind of to bring it back to this freedom march. Why is everyone freaking out about government conspiracies? Well, yes, there are problems with the government that they've dropped the ball on other things, but I also think like the much more human thing I personally feel is that people are scared and there's no, con they have no control. 
So you start creating these fucking wild stories about all this crazy shit because it makes you feel better because it's like, well, I have no control of this situation. That means there must be some other outside forces fucking everything up. And that's why I'm in my house right now. It's much, much easier to believe that there is a plan that than the idea that there isn't. Like, it's much more terrifying to think, oh, no, this is just a confluence of, like, a whole bunch of mistakes and different circumstances and no one really knows what they're doing in a time like this. It's even around the questions that reporters ask leaders. Like, even if I disagree with the decisions the leaders are making, when reporters ask them things like, well, can you guarantee us in six months, blah, blah, blah. And you're like, "What? that is the dumbest <laughs> question I have ever heard in my entire life. Because anyone who's been paying attention, like can't guarantee Bro. anything. Like, what are you talking really? about? Like, can they guarantee something based on a whole bunch of circumstances no one's ever encountered where even the experts disagree? No, they can't. I can see the idea why some people find the idea that there's a plan behind it, all this, or all this is happening for a reason is a compelling yeah. thing to believe. One hundred percent. Because you know what would be, I, you know what would be genuinely more terrifying mm. if back in twenty twenty when COVID started happening, or you just let's, let's pretend on the first mm. of January twenty twenty that Scott Morrison went up in front of a press conference and said, "G'day guys." Hey, so in uh, about Feb and March, there's going to be a huge bushfire that's going to cover multiple cities. And then this World War Three is about to happen as well. And then also coronavirus. If he planned all that out, that would be fucking, that would be terrifying. So it's like, what? The- well, basically, we, we've seen what happens in a similar similar situation because Bill Gates had been warning people for years that something like this was coming. And then the minute it act- actually happened, everyone was like, well, he must be behind yeah. it. You can't, you just can't win. <laughs> <laughs> this guy was saying this was gonna happen and then it happened i reckon he made it happen yeah it, it's it's yeah it, it's really that thing and it's just like and it kind of goes back to the first point of like just control what you can control really like um you know and and of course if you're in if you're so it's like for example for the people who were tasked to make the vaccine what they could control to help the pandemic was make a vaccine and they did it. Um, so good on them. Uh, Hey, we aren't all fucking scientists out here. If the best thing that you can, the best thing that I can do, my sole responsibility right now, um, is cause I'm in Sydney and I'm away from my family. Um, it, so all I can do right now is go to the ABC do a show from 12 to 3 on Triple J where I play music and hang out with you. And if I can do that to the best of my abilities, which and I'll be honest uh, with everyone here, that is not a huge leap of something that's... I. If all I have to do is show up, play music and chat to people, which I love to do anyway. Hey, we're on some pretty cruisy streets right now. Um, so, and that's kind of... But even then, sometimes I don't feel like talking to people. I sometimes I feel like staying home and screaming into the abyss and trying to find an answer. But that's when I put on my big boy pants, go to work, make and engage with people who are also feeling terrified and trying to put on the brave face. And then I come home, have my moments myself, then hang out with my roommate and fucking 
talk shit about what went fucked in the day and then keep it moving. And then hopefully when everything opens back up um, to a point where we resemble a bit of new normal, um, that's when I'll start focusing on other things of, all right, how can I uh, go around a 30-person party and be normal again? Uh, <laughs> that, that will be my next task and I'll focus on that when the time arises. Okay, so um, for some final questions, mate. This has been great, by the way. I've really um, enjoyed this. Oh. It's uh, Sunday morning, which is an unusual time for me to be recording one of these, yeah. but I've quite, I've quite enjoyed this. This has been. I got up and did my hours exercise first. I went for a walk around the neighbourhood, and then I've sat down and chatted to you. It's been well, uh, a lovely way to spend the morning. I tell you what, I, I've had. So I woke up at eight thirty, and then I was because my alarm went off, and I was like oh fuck why did I put an alarm on it's Sunday and I was like <laughs> and then I was like oh hold on I'm talking to fucking Will Anderson during a global pandemic in 2021 that's pretty fucking cool <laughs> you know uh, well I have some standard questions I ask at the end David Woodhead uh, one of them is this what do you think happens when we die um, I think um, I think man I don't know I, I, I feel I, I don't want to I feel like I think I'm as close to agnostic slash slight. I, I grew up Catholic, so but I've mm -hmm. kind of taken all. I feel I feel like we just die, and that's okay. You know, you you were just not around anymore in the physical world. Maybe there's a spiritual world, and you know, I saw Soul that um Disney movie, and I'm I'm kind of I'm like, yeah, that'll be chilled if there's just a bunch of souls or something. I don't know. I, I feel like just. There is some, might be something spiritual, but I guess that's kind of like the new, what I'm going to try and be learning next, you know, kind of tap more into my spiritual side. Do you care about the idea of being remembered? Like, I mean, there is one school of thought, which is that eventually all of our graves go untended. And if you talked about who the biggest movie stars in the world were less than a hundred years ago, most of those names would not be recognisable to anyone who lives today. So the idea of like you know, having some sort of life after your life is probably ridiculous anyway, but yeah. is it important to you? I used to. I that That's kind of what was the weirdest thing is that when I was a kid, I used to want to be remembered. But then now growing up, I'm kind of... Now, anytime I do a task, I don't think it's really anything. You know, like... When I took the job at Triple J, I, I, I felt it so nonchalantly. I didn't feel much. Uh, I felt excited, but more also like, okay, cool, I have a job. Um, but then it's that when I took take time to reflect and like now people messaging me going, man, I listen to you every day. You help my day go past. That's cool. That's that's all I like. I that's pretty much. I don't mind if if in ten years time when they're not working on the job site anymore and they're working in some other field and they got a kids and a wife and I don't need them to remember Dave Woodhead. If they remember Dave Woodhead from when they were 22 and they were fucking out there on the tools and then life was fucked because the miso that they were singing fucking weren't fucking there and dad wants money and shit. That's, but if like that three hours when they were listening to Dave Woodhead play tunes, 
that's man that's cool that's that's all i need well, well the great the great thing is dave knowing uh the triple j audience uh you've at least guaranteed that people will remember you for six months after as they ring the person who's replaced you and say bring back dave woodhead 100%. triple j shit now that dave woodhead isn't there 100 <laughs> percent, man and i and that's what i love about this fucking audience is what i started it was who the fuck are you where yeah. the fuck is jen fricker <laughs> Where the fuck is Louis McCurdy? Where, and then like now, I leave for, dude, I left for two weeks to go and film. Uh, I remember the start of the year, I was filming the show, uh, The Moth Effect, which, uh, look, sneaky plug, it's on Amazon. Um, it's a sketch. You show. don't have to sneak, you don't have to sneak in plugs. <laughs> there is appropriate places. This is not the ABC. You don't have to sneak in the plug. You can say where it's on. You can get, <laughs> it's Man. an Australian sketch series. It is available on Amazon. You can, yep. Jeff Bezos, don't worry. Give yeah, him man. some of your money. <laughs> yeah, we put an engine in his fucking spaceship with that show. Um, uh, but I was working on that for a couple of weeks at the start of the year and missed out on a couple of days. Mm. And just coming back uh, after it all wrapped up, you know, getting texts from people going, what the fuck, Dave? Why did you leave us? <laughs> and like, And it was like that. It was, it was so... It, it was like so it felt so nice of that oh man it's cool that you guys missed me uh i missed you <laughs> i missed uh i missed going into the studio but it, it's nice to know that that's kind of right now that is uh it's not even like a legacy it's just like what i'm doing right now is touching people and that feels really good they're the most incredible audience yeah. of any audience in australia there is absolutely no doubt about that you know you have such but you, people connect to Triple J and they connect to the people there. I mean, you know, it is a a bit of a cliche and a, like a hilarious cliche, but, you know, like Adam and I have not been there for 17, nearly 18 years yeah. and people still remember our show and talk to us about our show. And often people still come, like when when they were replacing The Breakfast Show, like, like last year or whenever that was, there was still people going, you and Adam should go back. I'm like, to do what? We're too old for Radio National, let alone fucking Triple J. <laughs> and, and, that's, and that's what I love about being part of such a legacy is that what Triple J is and what it means has changed so many times. Even in the, the year that I started, 2020, you know, last year is when I came on full time. Usually when you start at Triple J, um, this might be peering behind a curtain a bit, but it's like when you start there and when they're gearing you up to start at Triple J, they go, man, you were here. We're going to, you're going to go to all these shows. Um, we're going to get you to do this. You're going to get you to do that pandemic hits there's no more festivals no more of like what triple j the culture is right now which is festivals none of that's there so what do you have you have a bunch of young people who are in the office um trying to make something out of nothing and having a fucking fun time doing it and um you know like everyone there plays there. like lucy who does mornings she's you listen to Lucy if you want the music knowledge. Like she is so musically knowledge and knows so much about what is happening in not only Australian music, outside of that. And then you have Bryce and Ebony who are on Breakfast now. They their their breakfast show, you know, of their legacy will be they are such 
the time they they are kids now you know like they they talk about tiktok and stuff and they talk about you know and they have that real internet culture about it. when people might when they listen you know of course you're always going to get texts of like this is commercial bullshit but i'm listening to it going hey we here in uh, you know i live in the, the inner west of sydney yeah i have internet connection now but i remember the kid in darwin who didn't have any internet connection because he couldn't afford it i wasn't the most pop cultural up-to-date kid because of that and now some kid living in fucking derby or you know bundaberg or wherever who might be in a similar position they don't really have what we have they might work on a farm so turning on triple j to know what a, the tiktok trend is of the day i think that's cool and that's just my opinion no i agree man i absolutely agree like and it's also i always get so frustrated with like you know, I mean, because I will tune into Triple J, not all the time now. I mean, fuck, man. Like, it's, you know, I'm like, you know, I am at the age now where, like, I am like, oh, I'm not sure I do like this music. And I'm yeah. not, I don't know what these children are talking about. But I remember being that. Like, 100%. we, the truth of it is that every generation, it's meant to be like that. Mm. It's meant to sound like noise to those who aren't in it. And if it is too accessible to a 47 year old man then they're probably not doing the job that that job is actually set up for which is to talk to people that age about things that are important to people that age and at that stage of their life 100 percent. you know like right now you know and i'm sure i i also feel the same way like i i can understand of you know if you were listening um even you know whenever matt and alex were on what that is it's such a time that's why when people feel their type of ways about their ho their breakfast host or bring back this you know if you if you use that anxiety thing to this of like why do you want uh you know why do you want man alex back why do you want these people it's because you want to go back to that time of your life when things yeah. were easier and that's okay that is totally cool yeah. um it's all right it's it's so important to hold on to those memories but don't tell don't tell the host now to kill themselves. Yeah, don't or... tell the new people. That's <laughs> yeah, fine. Exactly. You're allowed to believe it yourself. <laughs> yeah. Shush it. Keep it to yourself. You know what? You can you can send me a bring back Adam and Will message. Don't send it to the current <laughs> breakfast show. <laughs> you know, and, and when people tell me, oh, fucking bring back Louis McCurdy. Hey, you know what? Yeah. I loved listening to Louis McCurdy. I wish that cunt was back too. I, <laughs> I want to be yeah. in the car listening to Louis McCurdy. Um we got Woodhead at the moment, and I'll tell you what, he's hes an all right guy when it gets to know him. Um, uh, okay, if you could wake up tomorrow, Dave, you don't have to do your 10,000 hours, you just have a skill. Mm. What is the skill that you would love to wake up with? Oh, uh, you know what? Probably, um, uh, probably wrestling. I've always been oh, a yeah. fan of that. Was when I look at the two, you know, there's points in your life when you can kind mm. of realize, like, you had a time i wanted to be a wrestler as a kid like that was my first like when i was six yeah. i found out it was fake and it was like oh fuck this and then and then but now growing up i'm like i've you know i guess pandemic and also just because um whatever like, i've just started watching it again i'm like man this shit is cool um you know i'm glad that's not the choice i the path i went down to but Hey, if it was, if it was, if I could just wake up tomorrow, be an amazing professional wrestler and be able to do backflips in a ring, 
That'd be sick. I think you'd be a good wrestler too, because I mean, it's sports entertainment wrestling. That's what people, you know. Like, so you'd be good at like, you know, doing all the promos, cutting the promos, having a character. Yeah. Like you'd already be a bit of a natural for those sort of things. So all you've got to do is get your backflips down, and you'd be sweet ass. Exactly. I mean, look, if there was a wrestling school in Darwin, um, you not you never know what could have happened. <laughs> um okay how about this one then Uh, on my desk i have a little um inspirational saying it's as close to an inspirational saying that i have i'm not really one of those people who goes by sort of you know Mm. mottos or inspirational sayings but i've kept this one uh, all my life and i because i think it actually it works for me it just says on it what would you attempt to do if you knew you could not fail i um currently have a uh well, by the time people hear this, um, I, I will have a new TV show on the ABC, hopefully, Touchwood, uh-huh. assuming that everything goes as it's <laughs> intending to, which who fucking knows? <laughs> like, it certainly is very different to what I imagined it was going to be, like making a show in lockdown. But um, so many times when I've been making this show, I've come back to what would I attempt to do if I knew I could not fail? And I always think of the show as going, imagine this show is successful. What do you want this show to be? Who do you want to be surrounded by? Who do you want to give opportunities to? What do you want the subject matter of the show to be about? Don't think of any of those things based on if I get this person, it will be successful. Assume it's already successful. Now, who do you want to put on this thing that is already successful? And that's what it means to me, but it can mean anything to you. So, Dave, what would you attempt to do if you knew you could not fail? Um, Look, uh... I guess the most, um, I guess the most uh, a monkey brain would be uh, being able to go up to any woman and saying hi, and then fucking being able to date them. That's that's the first. Okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> being able to, be, I would use it to pick up chicks. Will I, I know I just did right. an hour and no. Yeah, that's a that's, a, um, that's not uh, a very modern. I'm going to superpower. I think, what would I attempt if I could not fail? Pick up chicks, mostly just picking up chicks. Yeah, you read the, the game. Anyway, I want to talk to you about this book called The Game. It's real good fun. Anyway, like, I'm just going to get out my fedora. Can't fit it over my head. and uh, start a little negging on you yeah this lockdown's really getting to me now um i think i think personally man i think if the thing i would try if i couldn't fail would be just to do a uh i guess like my my whole goal really i can is um i want to have i want to have a tv show of you know and i want to make a sitcom but not like a, I, w- I just want to make a show uh mm. like and i and i guess every time i've started writing because i can write on other people's things and i can write on any like i've done even working at triple j i've worked on other projects and other film and tv projects but and it and i feel like i've done some really great work there and learned a lot but then when i've kind of come back to writing what i want and a show that i want I overthink it so much to the point where I have a script and I'll write the whole script and then I'll look back at it and I'll just change it and rework it to the point where it's like, and then it becomes a whole new idea, but then it's lost the faith of, it's lost like the spirit of the past version of that. So I guess like what I would do is just like have a show that was 100% me and yeah, and just that would be the the goal really of just like being my full 
authentic self uh, as in a TV show. But Final question, mate, and then we're yeah. done. Uh, by the way, we can do the plugs. The Moth Effect is on Amazon. Uh, you can listen to Dave on Triple J uh, every, uh, weekdays. Um, mm-hmm. So make sure that you uh, tune in and have a listen to him. And uh, anything else that you want to plug? I assume you don't have any dates or comedy uh, shows coming up. Nah, man. I mean, if pretty much, I think if people, um, if people want to just connect and um, you know see what I'm up to when things are a bit more normal. Uh, Instagram's probably the best place to go at Dave A. Woodhead. Um, I, I usually post like updates of what I'm up to on there and gigs and stuff. Yeah. Uh, final question. I have a time machine. Mm-hmm. I can take you to any point in the future, any point in the past. You can affect the timeline or not affect the timeline. You can meet yourself or not meet yourself. You know, there are. it's pretty free reign. I ask this in two parts now. One is instinctively if offered a trip on a time machine would you go forward in time or backwards in time i think gut instinct always says gut instinct says go back um because i think that's a totally normal feeling of like oh well i could go and change something but i would regret it man i I would prefer i'd prefer to you know maybe i guess morbid curiosity as well would go forward uh in time okay how how far for yeah i was gonna say how far forward do you think would you be comfortable going um you know what 10 years i i've really because i've Mm. i've clicked on to when i've been feeling annoyed and depressed through this lockdown i have started thinking about 13 year old dave um and teenage dave and and man that little cunt would be stoked of what's happening at the moment like he'd be (laughs) 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 and 23 year old dave sometimes you know i reckon he gets a bit annoyed because things aren't happening fast enough or things aren't this and things aren't that but i so i guess the morbid curiosity would be to go forward 10 years and just to just to peek on myself just be like what's up all right you're cool or if he's fucked i'll be like oh shit i gotta make some like any negative aspects of my life, I need to start working on that a hundred percent now. <laughs> <laughs> Mate, this has been a real pleasure. Thank you so much for doing the show. Hey, thank you. 